This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morris. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome. This week, we're going to be talking about something that um, was a bit of a surprise to me, actually. I was in my hotel room, and I was in London just recently, and yes, I was naked, yes, I was drying my hair, and um, yes, it was quite a sight. Let's just get that out of the way, because I know you're thinking of it, okay? So let's just get it out there. But what I was listening to while I was naked, drying my hair, looking quite a sight, was a documentary that was on the telly about this guy. He was a nutritionist, and also a... Um, a Chef? Yeah, I'm sorry. That just took me a second. Yeah, thanks for that. I was looking at that little mind going... Yeah, I couldn't get the word. I was still stuck on being naked. Um, anyway, anywho, anywho. So, yeah, he was, a, he was a nutritionist and a chef. And what he decided to do was to go into the um, English hospital system, the National Health Services, and have a look at their um, the meals and the nutrition that's being provided to people who are having hospital stays. Absolutely astounding statistics because he said that there was 500, um, 500 million pounds, which is about a billion Australian dollars with the current exchange rate, 500, 500 million pounds a year was being spent on food for people in hospitals. And there's about three pounds a day being allocated to each person that's sick for their meals. Three pound a day, not a meal, a day. Anyway, and what he said was 70% of people who were surveyed, and there was like 27,000 people surveyed, said that the hospital food was not only non, not nutritious, but also it was inedible. But then this was the kicker, this was the part that really got me, was they said that um, 65% of people who passed away in hospital, when they did the autopsies, they found that 65% of people had malnutrition. So they were in hospital for long term, or obviously for, or, well, that, actually that wasn't even relevant, that wasn't even something that came up, but they were in hospital and while they may have died of other causes, when they did the tests, they've also found malnutrition was present. And this guy's whole concept was that, you know, people go to hospital to get well, yet, and, and the number one thing that needs to be in hospitals and present is a nutritious um, way of eating. And his whole concept was similar to ours, is food should be thy medicine. And so he's looking at, you know, what sort of foods were in the hospitals. And this one particular place that he visited they weren't allowed to have anything fresh because their budget was so low they couldn't have perishables in the kitchen so everything came out of a tin or it came out of a packet or it was frozen and they had margarine because they thought that it lasted longer and honestly it was quite uh, this was the part that made me giggle was because he confronted the head chef and there were nine chefs in this particular hospital and he confronted the head chef and said what about butter 
And she said, nothing you ever say to me will tell me or convince me that butter is more nutritious than margarine. Nothing. And, and he laughed and giggled. And then they land up having big fights and so on. And then he took her to another hospital, which was a fair way away. And that particular hospital had 11 chefs, same daily budget, but it was a private hospital where people paid a fortune, but they still had the same daily budget. But this particular place sourced all of their food locally, so they didn't pay for transport costs like the first hospital did, because the transport costs represented 30% of their expenses because they weren't sourcing locally. I know. That's interesting, yeah. And the other hospital, the, the, the better one, sourced all their food locally and most of it was organic because that chef believed that food should be thy medicine. So I was frantically on Facebook, <laughs> on instant messenger on Facebook with Kim and Cindy going, oh my God, they just said this. Oh my God, and they just said this. And Kim's going, Kim's coming back on the Facebook message just going, I just want to vomit. I just want to vomit. That just makes me feel sick. And I'm giggling as I'm hearing another statistic going, oh my God, now they just said this. Oh, actually, I should bring up the chat to tell yeah. you about it because it was just, it was hilarious. And I don't even know what the time differences were between us because that was in the morning for me so I don't know well I just I just remember when my grandmother was in a rest home and she was hospitalized at one point where the food honestly would make me gag I would see it come out and not only that it's it's so it's hot food but it would come out in these plastic containers and that was my first thought like heat and plastic doesn't go well together so the smell of the plastic was present out would come this mashed potato goop that looked like it had been dehydrated and then rehydrated. Yeah, powdered potato. That's what it looked like to me. And then there was some sort of meat (laughs) in this brown gravy that looked like a insipid gravy. It would have been gravy. Yeah, something like that. And then very wilted I don't even know what the greens were, actually. I remember looking at it, and I remember saying to my dear grandmother, Grandma, you can't eat that. And she goes, I know, dear, I know. And she just was so... So I used to take food in. My grandmother's favourite meal was fresh-crumbed fish, my roasted potatoes, and she loved her peas. So I used to take her in meals sometimes, just to the hospital. And now, it wasn't as hot... You know, it didn't. But she said she would rather that any day. But oh, she yeah. could not live. She could not. How does anyone sustain themselves on something like? Like it looked so vibrationally, nutritionally deficient that I actually it made me gag. I don't know how they do it. I've been in hospital recently, or not recently, but over the last five years, I've been in hospital a couple of times for a couple of different things. And I have to say, I've been in there uh, three days, five days, and ten days. And each time I've gone in, I've lost an enormous amount of weight. And I, I thought, oh, well, this must be because the food's, you know, must be so nutritionally balanced. And I'm just, you know, such a fatty that the, food, the weight will just drop off me. But when I think about the food that I was eating, it was inedible. It was inedible. I'd get, like, this plastic container of jelly. Um, Oh, oh. Was that dessert and cu- it, that was Jello? Oh. <laughs> oh. Jelly with this custard that just smelled like egg. Oh. <laughs> but it wasn't like proper egg; it was powdered egg. It would have been, yeah. Oh. And then everything, everything was um, soggy and swimming in water all the time. Yeah, because all the water was released from. Oh. <laughs> so I want to ask you then: oh. the point of this podcast. We may not have an influence on how they change the food in hospitals, 
But the point of this podcast is to, first of all, make people aware. And then secondly, maybe if you've got friends or family in hospital or people that you care about, take them look at ways of taking in hampers yeah. to support their nutritional um, ability to heal their bodies. Yeah. Uh, Cindy, what... I mean, what's your thoughts on all of this? I mean, you must be cringing sitting here. Oh, thinking. like I've always cringed. That's why I couldn't become a dietitian because a dietitian works within the hospital system oh. and they're the ones that are giving the diets out and they're the ones that are, are saying this is the diet that this person should have and this is the diet that this person should have. And for me, I just, I didn't agree with the actual diets. I didn't agree with the bread. I didn't agree with the jelly. Oh. I didn't agree with the, the potato that came out of a package or the custard that came out of a package or or the wheat bix that or the breakfast cereals they were feeding um I and didn't agree with anything I didn't even agree with the um the peg feeders like the, the people oh, that were being yeah. fed because they couldn't eat and they had to be fed through a tube either through a, a nasogastral tube or a peg feed which goes straight through the stomach from the you know from their skin I I just looked at what they were being fed, and they were being fed canola oil, high fructose corn syrup, and whey protein isolate or soy protein isolate, depending on whether they were dairy intolerant or not. And that's why I couldn't become a dietitian, was because of, I didn't agree with this. And that was 30 years ago. Wow. And it's still happening in the hospital system. And to me, it's a disconnect with, you're coming in to have you know, to get healthy. You're sick. We need to get you healthy. We need to get you well. But we'll just feed you this crap because that's what we believe in. But it's a disconnected to what people actually realise. You know, do you well, see what I, I mean? I don't think they're actually looking at the human body holistically, obviously. They're looking at food as a mechanistic way of keeping someone alive. It's not a vitalistic way. It's not like they're looking at them thinking, what's the best nutrition we can give these cells to heal? They're doing, what do we have to minimally give to keep that body alive? It's, it's not even like there's even a truth well, around the human. think about it. Well, you know, they do RDAs. So an RDA is the recommended daily allowance of a certain nutrient. So Really dumb advice, wasn't it? Really dumb advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it stands for. Really dumb advice. Because all it is is, how much do you need to to prevent a disease such as scurvy, which is vitamin C, such as goiter, which is iodine, um, beriberi, pellagra, you know, all of those diseases are due to a nutrient deficiency. And so they've figured out how much do you need to take, but it doesn't mean that that's the function that the body needs in order to function at 100%. So, I, look, I, I feel the hospital system need to overhaul but so do a lot of people and a lot of our doctors believe it also and I'm following on Facebook a a doctor who's out of Launceston Hospital um, and his name's Dr. Gary Fetke and he's trying from the inside to change the hospital system awesome and he had a little bit of a rant on Facebook and I'd really love to read it if you you want to hear this, this bit of a rant that he says uh, let's see, the options go. Sorry, I've, I've got to go to it. Sorry that I have to go public about hospital food policy, but enough is enough. The collective nouns for ostriches include a pride and a wobble. Seems entirely appropriate as the whole process continues on and on with senior administrators' heads in the sand. I'm trying to practice evidence-based medicine in a multidisciplinary approach, looking at current practice and reviewing that are called quality assurance, that the mantra of modern medicine. 
I am completely constrained in the Launceston General Hospital from carrying this path forward. An ongoing restriction on carrying out best practice medicine is now bordering on professional misconduct. I am getting nowhere with communicating with the the CEO of the Northern Tasmanian Health Organisation as well as the Nutrition Department. I have been banned by the CEO from having any communication with involved parties in relationship to nutritional policy within the hospital. This ban has been present since December 2013 and he has refused to communicate productively or meet with me regarding the issue over the last nine months as regards to food policy. It is remarkable that after 21 years as work as an orthopaedic surgeon that the CEO refuses to meet with me or allow a discussion um, to occur within the nutrition department. I have not even been able to have the option of presenting what I believe to be reasonable options in moving forward in the process. And he goes on. Like he, he says, the options include providing appropriate 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 signage for dietary requirements, identification of at-risk patients and offering low-carbohydrate food choices for patients and particularly diabetes. This is just part of the message that I'm trying to get through to, uh, to him and the nutrition department at the hospital. I don't think this is unreasonable for an orthopaedic surgeon to ask for changes in, in nutrition. Um, He's also the doctor who refuses to um, operate on smokers. He says their healing is not as good and there are too many complications. He's a a medical doctor who um, was fed margarine, white sugar, breakfast cereals and modified milks his whole life, was diagnosed with a brain tumour at 38 and... Like many doctors, get into a crisis, realise that their profession cannot help them and has to go elsewhere and has become vigilant in his diet. diet. So um, uh, he said this effectively costs nothing and has the potential to save significant amounts of morbidity for patients as well as cost saving for the system. The whole issue of junk food in the hospital remains a major concern. There is legislation already in the system. It just seems um, in, in, inadequate. You know, and he goes on uh, despite the, the communication bans and everything, but he's being gagged by the hospital administration. He's not allowed to talk. And so I think that's appalling. He, he's not even allowed to talk in medical institutions that are teaching young students. He's not allowed to speak to them. Um, in the institution, they have to have him on the side in a black market type situation. But let's think about it. God, it's nothing. Okay. Nothing's changed in years gone by. He would have been stoned. Yes, true. That's exactly what true. I'm thinking. And <laughs> nowadays, he's just ousted gagged. and gagged. He's just gagged. So he is seen as a heretic or someone who's thinking way outside what is considered normal or correct or what they all believe to be true. I had an argument with two dietitians. I don't know if I've mentioned this on on our podcast before. Two beautiful dietitians, both very, very slim, gorgeous women, mothers of children. Of course, they're mothers of children. Um, Mothers of cats. I meant to say say mothers of five children. Um, But I remember sitting there and we had the butter versus margarine debate. And I just sat there and said, look, I just, you know, I believe that butter is more nutritionally sound than margarine. And these two went off. Their argument was statistics, and they believed that statistics showed that there was increased um, ability of the body to absorb 
margarine. It lasted longer. It tasted better. It had none of the bad fats. Um, and they, they, they were very much about fat. It was, you know, everything should be low fat. And I just sat there looking at them and I said, but what statistics? And they went, the statistics that we've researched. And then when I said, well, can you show me the statistics? They went, it's not, a, it's not relevant right now to show you which statistics. After all, we're the ones with the degree. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they were questioning my Because yeah. you don't have a degree. No. Yeah. So just because I just you have shut a degree up. doesn't mean that you know things because you're taught within an institution. Yeah, well, I just shut up after that. There was no point having this debate. And I was just healthily questioning it. I wasn't, I wasn't saying, maybe I was. I wasn't saying you suck, but maybe I was. Um, but, you know, the tone might have come through. But I was just upset that they were feeding kids. And, the other, and what the, why the conversation came up is we hadn't long been out of hospital with Jacob with suspected meningitis. And the children's hospital in Auckland has a big Ronald McDonald house right there, with McDonald's right there on the bottom floor. And on every level is these vending machines with Coke and chips and chocolate and all this sort of thing. In Ronald McDonald house? In, in, at the hospital, Starship Hospital, there's a McDonald's on the ground floor called Ronald McDonald House. So Starship Foundation is supported by McDonald's. I, I don't know if it still is today, because I haven't been in Auckland for so long, but... Um, that's what astounded me. The other thing that I want to say to you both, and, and this is just a, a personal thing, I, I get a gag reflex. You know how we both get a gag reflex oh. around certain things? Yeah. And meat and you for eggs and things and like way. that. Okay. <laughs> so I'm having this... I'm having this feeling right now because... You know, it's making me green. Because when I was in the hospital with Jacob, I could not eat. We were quarantined because they thought he had meningitis. So I couldn't even touch Taylor or see anybody. I was in the room with Jacob and we were in a glass cell, it felt like. And mum, of course, and, and, and Danny would bring me up food because I refused to eat the food. And they brought me up sushi. And see, even saying it, So what happened for me, even good quality food that was brought in and Danny would bring me in food from home that he'd made for me, like one of my omelettes, I actually felt the same reaction physiologically as what I do to looking at the food in the hospital. And I did not know what that was about. And I didn't know if I was picking up on the vibrational feeling of death and dismay and yuckiness. But still to this day, I had this feeling come up when I think about sushi or omelettes when I think about eating it in the hospital. Is that psychosomatic? No, no, no. I think we discussed this a little bit, and I think you'll remember. Smell and food and the hospital smell. Yes. And we were Kim and I actually were talking about this, and wouldn't it be wonderful if they used Kim's essential oils? Well, not, you know, I think they should use 28, actually. (laughs) Nobody else does. (laughs) But wouldn't it be wonderful to put, we were talking about a drop of lemon, in well, the air conditioning system or a the Shimizu Corporation in Japan uses lemon essential oil through the air conditioning ducts because they know that air conditioning ducts are one of the greatest transporters of germs, germs and disease. What they had was a 35% increase in productivity and a 48% decrease in sick days by using essential oil. That's what they put it down to, was using and because essential oil of lemon is highly antiseptic. It's cleansing. I mean, most people know with cleaning products, it's used in cleaning products because of its high antiseptic qualities. It's got a pleasant aroma. It's what we call a citrus aroma. It makes people feel fresh and cleansed and all of that sort of thing. 
And I said this to Cindy, imagine putting tea tree, lavender, lemon, those kind of oils. Now, when I gave birth to Taylor and Jacob, I was in hospital giving birth, and I brought the vaporizers in. Now, we weren't allowed a candle. I forgot about that. So I said, Danny, hide the vaporizer under the bed. So he'd lit the vaporizer. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. Um, But we had the vaporizer going under the bed. Every nurse and doctor that would come into my room, now I wasn't in hospital for long, but they would come in going, this room smells amazing. It made me feel better. And you're so right. Smell is so linked to our emotions. And I think it's that association. You know, you're in the hospital. All hospitals smell the same. They They smell like death. Yeah. And you're in that... And, and disinfectant, yeah, disinfectant. And you're in that hospital and you have an association with that smell and that food and then someone brings you in beautiful food and you've lost, you know, you lose that, it, which is, is amazing. So not only is the food system bad, but so is the the smells. And, and I think food smells terrible as well. Oh, it's awful. And it all smells the same. And yeah. it's funny. Yes, it does. I don't know if you've noticed, I took my... Just and this is just a little bit aside, but I took all my own food when I went to London this time, and it came time to eat, and everybody was bringing out the they were bringing out the food carts, and all of the food smelled the same. Whether people were having the lamb or the chicken or the beef or whatever they were having, it all smelled the same. And when I brought out my food to eat, because I had just I just took some fruit and I took some nuts and stuff, and I couldn't eat it. I could not eat my own food because I was smelling uh, all of the other food. Feeling, I couldn't yeah. eat it. And even and even when I was at the hotel, um, I was sitting down because I didn't want to be in my room all the time. I was sitting downstairs, and I could smell the food from the kitchen, and it all smelled oh, the same. Yeah, and I couldn't eat my own food. I took my blender and made myself smoothies and stuff. I couldn't eat it. I could not eat it. So I won't travel with my blender again because that was just a pain in the bum. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not quite true. But it was it was it made it really challenging. Yeah, like, I, I just I couldn't eat when there was other food being served. So I would eat when nobody else was eating and there was no other smell, and that's when I would eat. But other than that, I couldn't eat. So let's look at what um, maybe can be done in hospitals to... Yeah. What what do you do? Do you take your own food in? Are you allowed to take a Thermomix? Are you allowed to... Because that's what I... <laughs> can, you, can I take my can Thermomix? I, can I bring my Thermomix and make my own food? And can I have my own everything in there? Can we have a vaporizer? Can we have our own spritzes? Yeah. Can we have our own oils? Can we have oils? our own everything? Well, can you do that, though? Because yes, I remember thinking when I came back from Bali and the food was just horrendous. And I remember thinking... I wanted my mum or somebody to bring me some food in. But I, I was nervous because I thought we weren't allowed to bring our own food in. And I remember even my brother said, oh, you're not allowed, you're not allowed. Well, what happened um, with Gary? Because he went in for an operation in the last week. Who's Gary? Gary, the medical doctor. Oh, the one that you just read. Yeah, so he had to go in for We're just time. approaching Burp and Gary, and I just wondered if there was something to do with that. <laughs> Gary from Burp and Gary? <laughs> <laughs> names in this country. Any fellow Kiwis, you will understand. The names in Australia are very strange. In case you haven't noticed, we're actually in the car doing this podcast. Yeah. But um, we're approaching Burp and Gary as opposed to Fart and Gary. But um, Gary... Um, what do you call it? As, a, as opposed to Fart and Gary. I mean, she calls it Burp and Gary. Seriously? <laughs> I have never even thought about it that way. Oh, Kimmy! As opposed to Fart and Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to say that. Yeah, yeah, it has to be her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Sorry, so anyway, I was talking say? about Gary from Tasmania, not from Burp and Gary. Um, but he had to go into the hospital system and uh, into the hospital, and he was in there a couple of days, and he ended up getting his um, 
you know, the list where you, you tick, whether you want cereal or juice oh, or yeah. things like that. He got that and he crossed it all out and there was a, a, a space underneath and he wrote, I would like for breakfast an omelette with this, 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 this and this. I And I request a low fat, I mean a high fat, high protein diet and very little carbs. So he actually requested it. And apparently he got what he wanted. Really? Yeah, yeah. He posted it on it and he, he said, um, nominate that you know, nominate that you want the low carb, high fat diet as opposed to anything else, and see and see what happens in the hospital system. So where was that? That was in it was at Hospital Food at Calvary. Um, ah. So it's in Launceston, I would assume. And he said they filed the breakfast menu, um, and he says he says. Megan, my daughter, filed it in, filled in the breakfast menu for me, and out it came, beautifully prepared and hot. Tricky in a hospital when I know it was made on another campus. So he thinks it was made elsewhere. Oh, and then heated made. at the uh, hospital. Yeah, he, he's not sure. But most food will be microwaved. Like our yes. very good friend MK, and I won't, um, you know, as opposed to KM, it's MK. She works in an old aged care home. And I don't want to okay. out her no, good, because good. she takes photos secretly for me. And, <laughs> oh. and she works in an old aged care home. She's an undercover agent. Yeah, undercover oh, agent. Yeah. But so's my young friend Emma. She yeah. takes photos of the hospital trolley for me. I love her. <laughs> yeah, like I'm always getting her to take photos. So she t- takes a photo and she says, look at what is in the pantry. And it was just packets of dried potato, oh. tinned this, dried that, dried everything. But a, a new report has come out, and I, I think you'll be really interested um, with this report. And the report was done by uh, Stuart, accountant Stuart Brown. So I think this is a national disgrace. It says just a few dollars a day are being spent on feeding some of Australia's most vulnerable citizens. And I, this is old aged care homes, so they're much the same as hospital systems. New research by accountant Stuart Brown reveals that residential aged care homes with their own kitchens spend an average of $9.07 a resident a day on food, a figure that covers meals as well as the cost of cutlery, crockery, serviettes and nutritional supplements. Residents and their concerned relatives reveal a depressing story with the inmates of many care homes surviving on powdered mash, frozen veggies and supermarket sausage rolls as some facilities strive to keep food costs down and adhere to health and safety red tape. Well, you know what? My mum was staying in an over-50s place, um, not an aged care facility, but, well, it kind of was, but it was, it was independent living. So, um, you know, they had these small little places and everybody went to the communal kitchen to have their breakfast, lunch and, and dinner. And they paid for that. You know, each of, the, each of the people staying there had to pay for their meals and it was like 6 or $7 a meal. And the meals that they were provided all arrived, they were like lean cuisine meals. Oh, gosh. So they all arrived pre-packaged in that nanotechnology ceiling yeah. and um, they all tasted the same. And my mum is terribly sensitive, so she couldn't eat it. She tried and tried and tried for the first, like, she, I think she was there for about 18 months, and in the end she left. Um, but she couldn't eat it. She couldn't eat the food. She said it was absolutely inedible. Nothing tasted differently. And if, if, if she asked them, in the end she just said, look, can you just give me a salad and then I'll do the rest myself in my own little unit? 
and they gave her like two or three slices of tomato and one or two slices of lettuce or pieces of lettuce that were like three or four days old and she said she could never get fresh ever and in the end they still made her continue paying even though she wasn't eating there yeah, I, look, I, I, I don't understand this. You know, like even our, our college students in their facilities, our boarding students, mm. you know, our, our students that are boarding, they get the same types of food. When the kids I, go I, on school camps, oh, yeah, on it's school all camp, tinned, they get, it's margarine, it's white breads, yeah. it's, it's, it's foul. That has to and, be And changed. cereals, you know, they, I mean... Jacob's excited because for the first time in his life he gets to eat Nutri-Grain. And this is the scary thing is that the kids are like, they want it. When, especially when they've got a mother like you, Kim. Oh, yeah. I'm, or Taylor didn't. Taylor came home, I think, two kilos lighter, three kilos lighter on her camp. She didn't eat anything. Yeah. You know, when you're healing, um, and especially if you've had an operation or, or even just had a baby, you don't need a lot of nourishment because you're laying in a hospital the energy needs are not there you just need good quality you don't need three choices of dessert you don't need a bread roll with butter if you had a little bit of steak and salad and vegetable and you know like there are facilities like chin chin in um in melbourne you know they must do thousands of meals a night and yet they can deliver good quality food And I just think that, like what you were saying, Karen, you know, they went to, in England, they went to a private hospital that was spending the same amount of money on food, and it was all locally sourced. And I don't understand why we can't make changes and 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 what is it going to take to make these changes and you know here's a, a medical doctor in a hospital system trying to change it from the inside out and yet he can't even make it do a you change. remember when we, were, when we were watching um, the ABC their show about ADD and ADHD and remember that when children are put onto a red um, what's the drug for ADD and oh, Ritalin and Ritalin so when they were on Ritalin, how they lost their appetite. And then, do you remember the doctor saying, oh, gosh, yes. most important thing we need to do is up his calories, so yeah. just give them anything, ice cream, oh, deep-fried yeah. Mars bars, chips, anything at all. And you and I just sat there going, are you serious? Well, it's the same advice for, for underweight people suffering with anorexia or bulimia. My experience and understanding recently and hearing the advice that a friend got was the same thing. And... and Look, I understand the importance of getting the calories up, but my feeling is that food affects the way we think and feel. So if you've got a physical condition like anorexia or bulimia or something like that, which they say is a mental, emotional condition, and then they're feeding them deep-fried Mars bars or ice cream, how does that make someone feel good about themselves to make that mental, emotional shift to therefore value and respect themselves enough to nourish it in the proper way? And I'm not blaming any parents or, or anything, and I even when I try and look at it from a doctor point of view, that they're just thinking from a science point of view, calories, and kids tend to like ice cream. But do you remember there was that boy on that show that went, I just want an apple, yeah. and the mother said, honey, you've got to have the ice cream. Like, I was sitting there going, oh, my gosh. So it's pretty twisted yeah, and pretty is. extraordinarily confusing for people that don't know or even have these sorts of conversations 
it must be harrowing. Well, it's it, it's um, it's a total. Um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? You know, where we're telling you to get healthy, yet we're feeding you junk. That's and, we're, and we've got McDonald's it's in an oxymoron. In, oxymoron. And you've got hot, and you've got McDonald's in moron hospitals. being the operative word. Moron being definitely the do operative you, word. Do you think it's because? Because I mean, I can't. I, I can't imagine, unless there's a conspiracy, which of course is another conversation, but I can't imagine that people on doctors and our medical fraternity do it knowingly. So, I mean, they don't know, obviously, and it's not a priority, therefore they don't investigate it. They don't research it. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, it, or is there, is there, I mean, something well, else? What they're taught in at, at university is no nutrition. And when a doctor says... Your condition has nothing to do with what you're putting in your mouth. You know that they have no idea. You know, you think, surely you did biochemistry and anatomy and you understand the the complex nature of the human body and you understand that the food that you put in your mouth makes everything that you're made up of. So if you have arthritis or multiple sclerosis or a brain tumour, it has everything. Not everything. It has a percentage to do with what you put in your mouth because it also has a percentage of what you put on your skin and what you breathe in and, what you and the water you drink and what you think. But food is a, is a huge part of it. But the thing is, is that they don't even teach that. So do you know what um, etymology or the root word for doctor is, where it comes from? It's a Latin word and it means teacher. Doctor oh. means teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's that. That's it's a direct translation. It was D O C T O R, and it was teacher. And I actually put it up on Facebook the other night, and I just said, "What does your doctor teach you?" And and somebody wrote back. They went, "Whatever they say, I do the opposite." I went, "Well, that's a good way of learning." <laughs> <laughs> what about our dietitians then? Because they are supposed to have had the education. If they're the ones who are advising what the meals are in our hospital system. I mean, what's the deal they, there? They seem a little bit to me, and this is no disrespect, because I'm sure there's dietitians and there's dietitians. Exactly, just like there's doctors and there's doctors, yeah. But the, the, the feeling I've had, and those two in particular were very classic of a number of dietitians I've met, They're very def- they, they seemed very defensive around what they believed was good nutrition, and they were incredibly passionate about what they believed in. So whether they've been indoctrinated with those thoughts or not, their feelings were based really passionately around it was the best thing. Uh, they are definitely indoctrinated, just like doctors are, just like accountants are, just like because they're, they're in an institution, they're educated the same way. You know, they're, they're educated in this is the way that we do things. And this is what's right. And if you learn that, then that's what's right. Yeah, exactly. And if you, and if you do A, then the protocol is B. But when they get out, and especially dietitians now, and there's more and more dietitians beginning to see that what they were taught at university is not working and what do we have to do? And there are some that have just got their blinkers on and they they won't change. Just like there are doctors um, that have their blinkers on and won't change, but there are other ones that are willing to change but are being, you know, like Gary, are being just absolutely um, gagged by their own profession, as is Perlmutter, as is... Um, you know, Dr. Perlmutter of Grain Brain, as is William Davies, um, Wheat Belly, and there's so many of them out there. Um, Byron, what's her name? Not Byron, Katie. Um, Dr. Katie Byron. Katie Byron, is that her name? 
Anyway, she's a uh, Brogan, sorry, Katie Brogan. So, you know, there are so many of them out there that are being persecuted because they've changed the way and they've, they've seen that they need to change things, but they're being frustrated by the change. But you and must be, you're a classic of that. 30 years you've been saying this. So do you think the answer is if we all keep going and all of us that are on, the, I'm sure the people listening to this podcast are of this way of thinking, in which case do we just keep persevering and doing the best we can and realise that we can't change the world or should we be going in with an attitude of we can change the world um, and therefore what can we do to do that? I say we can change the world because the thought of not being able to change the world and this is just a very personal thing and I dare say not everybody's going to feel the same way but as you said that I went no like if we give up or if we if we allow you know if you think of it from back in ancient times where people were stoned for their beliefs or anybody who who you know deviated from the path of least resistance um they were persecuted horrendously for their beliefs and they're the ones who were the ones who instigated change and it's once they die that we then start to listen to what they say you know i think i think that we've got to you know, united we stand, divided we fall. I think the more people who find a voice for their beliefs, the more likely it is that change will occur. But I think if people are gagged yeah. and, and, and acknowledge the gag and live with the gag and say, oh, well, too bad, then, then we don't actually get the change that we so desperately need. Because unfortunately, humanity is still very much head in the sand, like he says, those ostriches. We're still very head in the sand. We don't want to know. We don't want to look because we want the path of least resistance. We want to fit in. We want to conform. We want to do what everybody else is doing. And when it comes to nutrition, you know, people like Cindy and, you know, all these others that are standing up for something, it's, it's going to take this continual, unrelenting push and this constant gathering of others because united we stand. I think it's, it's, it's going to take a movement. And I think that movement is happening. And the fact that there are doctors within the system that are trying to make the changes. But if let's just say that there are people that are in the position where they have a family member in aged care, a son or daughter in boarding school, or having to go to hospital. Well, what are our options? What can we do? How do we, we make those changes? So, like, if I if I had to go into a hospital, this this is what I, I would do. I would um, do what we, you know, we're on a road trip at the moment, and I packed my lunchbox. So I would do the same thing. I would I would take an Eskin probably and have all my good food in there. I will have prepared everything. I would ask friends to bring in certain foods, especially if I was going to be in there for a certain amount of time. And I and I, you know I would do what I like I did when I had my my children. Um, I had Brogan in a hospital and I didn't want him to have vitamin K and I didn't want him, me to have Sintometrin. And I had to write out that I take full responsibility for if my child dies, it's my responsibilities and not the hospitals. So I would do the same thing. I would let the hospital know that this is what I'm doing. I would also let the hospital know that I take full responsibility if I get food poisoning. You know, take all responsibility for your taking that food in there and hopefully they'll allow you to do that. If they don't allow you to do it, then my, my um, I guess what I would do is do what Gary Fetke did when he went in and that was 
cross everything out, yeah. telling me he's, he wants to have low carb, high fat, and this is what he wants for breakfast, and write it out. Mm. But I'd be scared if I got eggs and it'd be powdered eggs. So I would, you and, know, and, and the, I'd want to know, can I take my Thermomix? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. The, the hard thing, I, I'm just trying to picture this, people listening to this, if they're confronted with this, like you say, get friends to bring it around. If your friends aren't on the same path as you and your community is not in the way of thinking, then they're going to bring you food but it might not be the food that you'd want to eat. So do you, and, and what if you're not well enough? Well, let's say you're in an accident and you just haven't got prepared for this. Yeah, true. And you are now in there and you're going to need some form of sustenance to survive. What would your advice be then that you could ask your family? Like for me, I'd be begging for coconut water to be brought in. Just at least then I was having some liquid that had something oh, in it. Or but you know, there's a lot of cold press juice places around now. Yeah. Maybe even get them to deliver it. You know, just say, look. And I guess you need money in order to yes. do this. You know, so you'd need to have some finances behind you to say, can you just bring me in six juices a day or something? You probably wouldn't even need that many. You probably only need four. You know, to five. I, and I, I do I do know that the hospitals are boring. You know, there's not much to do. So eating is decreasing the boredom in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, for some people, going to hospital is having a rest. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but for some people it's, it's become a place where they don't have to cook meals, they don't have to look after kids, they don't have to do anything. It's actually time out, which is... A sad way to have time out, but well, well, it is. It You're is. right. You know, they, you go in and it's like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to think You've about it. People anything. waiting on you day and night, and <laughs> look at you. You look like you're she's ready to go to hospital. <laughs> isn't she? To say she's gone to another place. <laughs> I think she's ready to go now. Would you want me to bring juice? I'm feeling what very would you like, unwell. <laughs> I will tell a funny story. Danny had a double hernia operation when we were in the UK, and thankfully, because he was under contract with the Lancashire County Cricket Club, we were put in a... Well, he was. I shouldn't say we. He was put in a private hospital in Manchester. And my biggest fear was what they were going to feed him. So I made muesli, and I made... I made things that... Like my muesli that he could add yoghurt to, so it didn't require heating and things like that. But anyway, one day we were sitting there, and the menu came out, and he ticked the prawn cocktail... So he actually had fresh lettuce with, I dare say in the UK they wouldn't be fresh prawns, but they were, um, and they certainly didn't look like the prawns from Australia. Um, But anyway, this prawn cocktail arrived at the lunchtime when I arrived, and he went, oh, there's no Thousand Island dressing, right? (laughs) So I went, oh, do you want some? And he went, oh, just, and I thought, poor guy's sick, let him have Thousand Island dressing. So I pushed the button to get attention for the menu, because the but I pushed the emergency button. <gasps> oh, no. Uh, the alarms went off. The doctors, I could hear yelling out, room 32, room 32. And they are running. Five doctors, uh, sorry, a doctor and five <laughs> oh, nurses oh, no. arrive in the room. And they went, is everything all right? I went, can we just have um, thousand island dress? We need some cocktail sauce. <laughs> I felt such a point. And Danny's just standing there going, I mean, lying there going, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so, And I'm just looking at them going, I pressed the wrong button. Sorry. 
But anyway, and I, and then I remember sort of joking, saying, you all run quite fast, you know. Like, But I just felt so bad. But I remember oh, thinking at that point, <laughs> I'm just trying to think back what else I did for Danny. I'd taken fresh fruit because he would eat grapes and uh, and bananas, so things that were easily, not, didn't have to be refrigerated. Um, and I remember taking in, I made muesli bars. So to me, nuts and seeds yeah. was his... his um, foundation really for the I guess if you've got a nut allergy that's scary so you could make seed bars and tavola things but I would make protein balls like for me I would want to just have things that sustained me enough to get out of there and I, I don't know that gag reflex of mine in a hospital I can't I can't I, I actually think I would die of starvation <laughs> but then you would tell but then if you went into that state they'd put you on a peg feed tell us what's in a peg feed oh, well that's it's it, it, depending on whether you've got a lactose intolerant or not. But if you're, if you're not lactose intolerant, it'll be whey protein isolate. And you know that whey protein isolate is sprayed with canola oil and soy lecithin. Then um, they'll high fructose corn syrup for your carbohydrates. So your protein is your whey protein isolate. High fructose corn syrup is your carbohydrate. And your fat is usually canola oil. Then they add vitamins and minerals to it. So synthetic. Synthetic vitamins and minerals are not real. Um, and Nestle is a, a huge maker of these, and they're in tins that are lined with BA, you know, with um, BPA. They always, I've always seen BHA and BHT in it, which are synthetically made antioxidants that have been known to cause cancer in rats, not humans, but rats. We've, you know, we're not testing it on humans; we're only testing on rats. They have an antifungal in it, um, which means that all your bacteria or all your fungus or all, you know, like antibacterials, antifungals, anti-everything is in it. And and they're feeding this to these sick people. There was, a, there was a guy that I knew that had throat cancer. Oh, he would have had to have a pig. And he did. Yeah. And, he, you know, like he posted photos on Facebook of his, his whole neck from the radiation mm. therapy was just blistered and red because he had to go in every couple of days to get radiation on his throat. Um, and yeah, he had the peg feed and honestly, I mean, he was a big strapping man reduced to within an inch of his life. Um, and now that I'm listening to that, I'm thinking to myself, for goodness sake, it's lucky that the poor thing hasn't, you know, got stomach cancer or something else based on what he was being fed. For goodness sake. I mean, surely to, I mean... See, I think you need an advocate. This is ridiculous. Look, when you get into hospital... I think it, whether it's an emergency or a, or a planned operation or a planned stay or whatever like that, I think it's important, and most people have relatives or friends, have an advocate. And the advocate should be asking the questions. And the question should be, idea. what are you putting in there? What is that? Can I read it? Is there a better thing that we can use? If not... Um, how can we change this you know like it's about asking questions and it's also about asking questions when you go in for the operation what else are you going as well as the anesthetic what else are you putting through my veins um, that I need to know about because they put prophylactic antibiotics through your vein and prophylactic antibiotics mean just in case you get an infection we'll throw some antibiotics in so, and, you, and you've got to ask, I think it's about time we start asking questions instead of believing that they're gods. And they're not gods. Yes, they're brilliant when it comes to emergencies. They, they save lives, um, reconstruction, um, hip operations, you know, all of that stuff. We cannot deny that. But when it comes to health, they should not. I think, were you saying this to me, Karen? Somebody was saying to me, well, let's face it, it shouldn't be the health department, it should be the sickness department. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's just yeah. not 
call it as it is. Yeah. It is not a health department. It is a sickness department. And if you're going to be a health department, they do things that um, are consistent health. with health. Yeah. But what they do is they do everything that is consistent with sickness. As far as the foods that they give, I, they, I, they don't change lifestyles, they don't teach. I've got a thought. <laughs> if you have to go into hospital for whatever it is, look at it as a cleanse. Okay. And therefore, I would be asking my team, you two, yes. to be bringing me in green smoothies and a thermos every day because that would give me everything I needed to sustain. It would be ice cold because I have to have smoothies cold. I could sip on it when I wanted it to make all soups in a thermos. So or broth. Me, or broth. In a thermos. We, okay. For me, for me you, then you're my advocate's broth for it. me. <laughs> I will do it. Thank you, sweet pea. Someone has to make my broth. But I'm thinking about the soap. <laughs> I'll do a chicken broth. Okay. Um, but I'm thinking broths are so healing. They're so healing. Smoothies and green juices and fasting is such a beautiful way to look after your health. Why not look at your hospital stay as a cleanse and therefore live off broths, smoothies, and soups? And actually, because everything would be in those that, that you would need. not the hospital soup. No, 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 you own. You'd need your advocates to bring it in. But because my thing is, when food's not cold or it's not heated, I get the gag reflex again. So you couldn't bring me in a cold omelette, for instance. Um, (laughs) But but if you brought me in a smoothie that was laden with seeds and nuts and coconut oil and green juice and coconut water and and your colloidals, yeah. probiotics, and your um, green food, uh, I would be drinking that down knowing, and my body would get enough. That you're not going to starve yeah. living on soups and broths and smoothies for a month. You're not, not with all that sort of stuff in it. Mm. So how about looking at a hospital stay as a little bit of time out, but also a cleanse? Actually, I think that that's a really good idea. And as well as the food cleansing, Kimmy, or you could also do meditations, you know, the boredom factor. Oh. So we could do meditations. Imagine your friend bringing in an iPod yes. with books on there of education or lectures or listening to beautiful meditations music. and music taken. Because you've got those iPod docs now. Like, seriously, if you look at Louise Hay, she believes any physical injury or trauma or situation is emotionally based. So if you are put into a position, and even accidents, they reckon... A part of that whole thing, then look at it as an option of time out, but of healing, growth, education, and really, really savour it. I'm I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that instead of seeing it as as something bad, um, try and you know find the the positive in it. Try and find that. All right, what can we do in order to make this stay the best that we can possibly do? Have your advocates around you. Um, You can even do a health directive so that if this does happen, you you know exactly what uh, is to be brought in. So have your health directive already figured out. You know that Queensland Health Health has a a page, and I've actually got the link to it. My good friend Emma gave it to me. Um, And you can write down everything you want. For your health and your life and your directive, if you're in hospital, then this is what I want and this is what I don't want. So it's a great mm. idea. Mm. I think it's, you know, like if we think of everything in our life, well, not everything, but if we think of, you know, if you're incapacitated, you get a power of attorney. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you go to give birth, you have your, 
you, you plan and everything? You, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. that, I think that having something set up in case anything should happen is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, have your advocates nominated so that they, they know. You two are it. Okay. Okay, well, I have to say you two are it, but please don't, don't bring broth. I won't. Um, a vegetable broth. I'll bring you a vegetable broth. broth. Yeah. Oh, vegetable yeah. Broth. I know that. I yeah. know. Where do they? I know you. She'd yeah. slip in a little bit of beef in there and she wouldn't even tell you. No, she wouldn't. Oh, no, she I would wouldn't. Never she do wouldn't. That no, no, to her. she's trying to speak. <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> but I think that is a really clever idea. Really, be prepared. I mean, we're prepared for everything else, so why not be prepared for a hospital for stay? A hospital stay? Why mm. not? Mm. Well, even, you know, um, from a, even if you get sick and you're at home, even. Mm. You know, like if you're not well at home and you're in bed and, you know, you've got a partner like Matt, it'd be nice for him to have some instructions. <laughs> <laughs> Bless his cotton socks. Oh, but you know what I would also say? If you're in hospital, make sure you take an electric vaporizer with tea tree, lime, lemon, yeah. um, or even our immune boost blend, or just get any highly antiseptic blend and have that going in your room, in that area the whole time so that you can at least be inhaling the best possible um, air as well yeah, because it is absolutely. not a very healthy place a lot of the time. So and highly toxic for the, the disinfectants that are floating around. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed this podcast. We certainly have. We have been in the car and the timing is absolutely perfect because we've just arrived at our destination down here in Brisbane. So go ahead and post all of your comments on our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And also you can post on thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Make sure that you give us a five-star rating on iTunes and make sure you tell everybody about up for a chat and start spreading the world. The other thing I want to quickly mention is to go to our website. It's a brand new website. It's called Awaken the Change Within. And join us for our live three-day retreat in November. We've got VIP seats left, only a few actually, um, and we've also got standard seating. So go and check it out. We'd love to hang out with you for three days, one-on-one. How cool would that be? All right, so join us here next week and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you on the ride. Hi, Kim Morrison here from Up For A Chat. Cindy, Karen and I cannot wait to arrive in Melbourne for this year's event. The Wellness Couch publishes over 300 podcasts per year, but there is only one Wellness Summit in 2014 and we want you to be there. We want to meet our listeners and share with you the information that we simply cannot put onto a podcast. If you're ready to take your health and your life to another level, then join us crazy Up For A Chat girls, the gorgeous hunk of spunk wellness guys and some very special guests at this year's summit. Tickets are just $297 and are available at thewellnesssummit.com. Can't wait to see you there. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.